Psalm 91. Whoever gets there and wants to read it out, feel free. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my, my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high of your habitation, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you, to keep you in all your ways. They shall bear you up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall travel underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will direct him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Amen. So where have you heard that psalm quoted in the New Testament? Jesus quoted it. Satan quoted it to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Part of it. Right, part of it. Uh, the part about that, that God will protect us, right? And he said, he quoted Deuteronomy, don't put God to the test. You shall not put God to the test. So, um, I didn't really prepare anything for this morning. So, it's kind of Indiana Jones-ish this morning. We'll just make it up as we go along. Um, my plan is that we'll move into Ephesians as we get into September, which is almost here. I want to find out if that's uh, if that plan is good by y'all, or if you'd rather go a different direction. Because normally... Kind of my rule of thumb is, if I've been spending a lot of time in the New Testament, I'll go to the Old Testament, because I think that there's a dearth of Old Testament teaching, that most people don't get any kind of uh, Bible teaching out of the Old Testament, and I think it's, it's foundational, obviously. So, um, so typically I would like flip back to the Old Testament, and since we've done some uh, prophetic narrative with Samuel, um, I thought maybe we'd do Kings or Chronicles, something like that. Something that's part of the prophets or the writings, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. Or we could do some of the um, wisdom literature like Job. Um, if Alex Semp was here, he'd say, yes, do Job. Because he's pretty sure everything in the Bible comes back to Job. Um, or we could take on a minor, the minor prophets and do a romp through the minor prophets. Uh, but that's, you know, the, the Bible's wide open as far as where we'd like to go next. I uh, looked at the New Testament, and I thought, well, where would we like to go next in the New Testament? And I thought Ephesians is uh, kind of the, one of the capstones of Paul's theological writings. And um, y'all have seen my, my Peanuts cartoon that I put up occasionally. You put it up for you, just so you know what I'm talking about. We'll take but a second here. Um, I think that that uh, on the whole, people need to have um, a good understanding of theology. And you're sitting here thinking, "Yeah, I don't want to do theology. I want some nice, hippy stuff that we can put together." Um, but when you look at it, hold on a second here. Theology. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got Lucy up here in the, the top 
quadrant and says, boy, look at it rain. What if it floods the whole world? And Linus, who's Charles Schultz's theologian, says, it will never do that. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that would never happen again, and the sign of the promise is the rainbow. And Lucy says, well, you've taken a great load off my mind. And this is the catchphrase. Sound, sound theology has a way of doing that. Um, so, you know, as we were reading through uh, Psalm 91, and uh, Doc was reading through that, and got to verse 4, and the end of verse 4, you read, His truth is a shield and a, and a bulwark. Is that how it read in yours? Uh, probably a small shield of some kind. Yeah, yeah. But but the the interpretation of the Hebrew there was truth. And in uh, New American Standard, it has faithfulness. So obviously there was an interpretive judgment made there. Both are essential, um, and and they're related, right? We understand that God is truth. It's not that. Um, God informs us of the truth. He is truth himself. And, in fact, Jesus said, I am, what did he say? The way, the truth, and the life. So what we understand is is that there's only one way in all of creation, and that way is Jesus. And there is only one definition of reality, and that is Jesus, the Son, as part of the triune Godhead. And that um, there is only one life giver or one source of life and that is Jesus the son and we read about that in John chapter 5 when we were doing our study of John we understood um, the importance of knowing who Christ is um, and in knowing him and believing in him trusting him we have life we enter into life so you know I go through the the uh, the theme of John 20:31. There are many things that, that could be written about Jesus, but these have been written so that you'll know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in him, you'll have eternal life. So we understand that that's foundational, understanding the truth. And when I was uh, over in India, um, that, you know, I mean, that's kind of like core of who I am, is, and that's why I'm a teacher, is because... I want to be like Ezra. I want to uh, study uh, the, the truth. And, and I'll take you to Ezra uh, chapter 7, verse 10. Ezra chapter 7, uh, verse 10 says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. So there's three pieces and I think that this doesn't just apply to me, it applies to all of us that are sitting here. First, we're to study, show ourselves approved. Um, then we're to practice it. And what that means is that it becomes um, the way that it's the lens that we interpret the world by. It becomes our worldview, it becomes our priority um, to be in the presence of God and that that then will ultimately lead into us being teachers, whether we're actively teaching, like standing up and, and using words, or whether we're teaching through how we live our lives. And so I've seen a lot of that in the 57 years that I've been walking around. That um, and, and Jay Vernon McGee used to quote it in a poem. He said, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely show the way. All the things you say and do may be very good and true, but I'll get my lesson from what you do, from how you live and what you do. And so we understand that we're all uh, a living witness, and we're all teaching. And so from my perspective, what I think is most important is that alignment on the truth. Because if you have good theology, it will... Um, allow you to rejoice in Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to my Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. 
right? So that's that whole it becoming part of your DNA to be in the presence of the Lord. <clears throat> and that we understand that by that comes deliverance. And uh, so we were just over there in India, and that's what we were doing. We were trying to, one, help assess where people are at uh, as far as their Christian walk, because we ran into a lot of Christians. And one of the problems over there, and it's a problem over here too, is that Christianity is an inch deep and a mile wide. So we ran into a lot of the work of the church. Missionaries had come in, established churches and schools and hospitals, but they didn't have a good theological base. And what happens is, is a couple of generations down the road, it just starts to erode. And uh, people will have a confession of Christ, but no no example of that in their life, no depth. What they do is they bring the world into Christianity. And, uh, I mean, we do that here all the time, right? That's a lot of what the philosophical movement of the age is with pluralism and all this kind of stuff that's going on. Um, well, it's not just here, it's everywhere. And the, the remedy to that is to study the truth. And so... That's why I say I, I'd like to go to the Old Testament because I think it's foundational. We need good theology. We need to understand, like from Samuel, um, where the concept of Messiah comes from because that was its origin. Even though it goes all the way back to Genesis uh, and, and prophecy there, um, you see that developed as the, the king part of the, the role of God. And yet at the same time, we can take and put that into our modern culture, I think, more easily by taking a look at the New Testament, which Ephesians is classic Pauline theology. So, yes? It ties them together, too. It, it ties, ties them together. Built together, the apostles and the prophets, and the whole thing being built together right. as, a, as, a, as a temple for the Lord. Exactly. And, and there are lots of places that you can enter into that discovery process, that learning process. One, you can enter in at the end with the backwards explanation, or you can enter in at the, the beginning, or you can enter in at the middle. And that's why I'm saying we could take a look at Old Testament. Like, for example, in our Friday night study, we're doing Leviticus. And we got really far on Friday night in Leviticus, right? <laughs> I don't think we opened the Bible. Uh, which is, you know, is we need to open the Bible, but we were talking about other things that were important too. Uh, <coughs> so we can go back and look at that, you know, the beginning. We can take a look at the middle, at the, the prophets, because I think people tend to pick on the major prophets and ignore the minor prophets. But we need to understand what that message is about. Or we can take a look at New Testament and take some Pauline theology on. So what would you like to do? <coughs> well... I love Ephesians, but Ephesians is getting a lot of news right now. Um, I've heard about Ephesians on radio talk shows in the last few weeks. You know, because of the temple of, what was it, whatever, temple of, was it Diana? Oh, yeah, in Ephesus, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Aphrodite. And and Paul's getting run out and all that kind of stuff. But, um, Whatever we do, I think we should be prepping ourselves for our trip to Israel. Yes. So, Ephesians, you know, although I love it, I'd almost rather, and I don't know how long you're talking about either. I mean, Mm -hmm. when you say Ephesians, I'm thinking a year. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know how we go. You you have good history to kind of just saying that it would be really great to do some background stuff for the Israel trip before we do the Israel trip. And I don't know, so working backwards, um, I don't know what kind of time frame there is there. And I don't even know the best books to do. It might be the Old Testament, it might be the New Testament. I don't know. Well, what I can tell you is when we go to Israel, um, we will actually read through various passages when we go to different places. So we'll be reading out of Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, 
um, looking at the um, what a lot of people would consider history, but it's really prophetic narrative. Um, Joshua, Judges. So we'd be as we go to these various places, we'll actually go to anchor texts that will because we're looking at a time frame when we go to to Israel. We'll I'm talking about trying to get excited about the trip. Yeah. It's, it's still yeah. a big deal. It is a big deal, and that's that's also a kickoff here in September is to get the interest registered, get people starting to have their shekels counted up and, yeah, exactly. and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I've been sitting on uh, a block of reserved seats on uh, Lufthansa for three months. It's about ready to start moving forward. Um, so that will be happening. And there's both Old Testament and New Testament there as well. I mean, it might be a good trek through Luke. If you wanted to, maybe Acts or Acts. Acts. Well, I, I like Ephesians. Oh, she won't be here, so whatever she says. <laughs> <laughs> she can, so she's not a voting member, right? But what I like about it is we're going to Israel, but see, we're going really more than just historical observation. Right. We're going as the modern church that was built upon the history that is there. Right. And if you really want to understand your position in Christ and the the, the, the value and the truth of the foundation that is there, Ephesians is the book. That's what builds it together. That's what yeah. tells us not only where we came from, but who we are in Christ. Right. And and that enables us to... Sorry, I'm, now I'm going to be... <laughs> She's disagreeing with you. Um, this is her last Sunday. <laughs> well, and but that's a good point, and that's why I was looking at Ephesians because it is kind of the capstone of uh, the theology of Paul as he's expressed it. I mean, we have in the Sunday morning, um, Bob's working through Peter's um, letters, and Peter has a different perspective than Paul, um, and they both bring the same kind of uh, theological message forward, but in different ways. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, you know, I would pick on one of the, the prison epistles or one of the mm-hmm. circular um, letters in order to really unpack Paul's theology, which I think is really important in New Testament, because you do see that. I mean, we're going to go to the Temple Mount, and we're going to see the division of the, uh, the courts, and we'll be able to say, oh, yeah, the Gentiles couldn't come this far, Right. Um, of course, now there's a mosque there, so we'll have to do some imagination work. But nonetheless, well, and the truth is, I, one of the most riveting conversations I had when we were in Europe was with a young Jewish person, mm-hmm. and um, I was stunned at what he was telling me because it, I realized that our um, persona as Americans was different there than I thought it to be myself, and we're going in one way to observe and to understand, but in another way, we represent Christ going there, and this yes. is as much a mission trip as you going to India. Absolutely Maybe correct, more. yeah, and we have friends that we've talked about meeting us in Jordan as an add-on and things like that, so everywhere we go, we're going to be missionaries, you're correct, I mean, we are ambassadors for Christ. And we will have um, some parts that you go into you have to have have a tour guide for. So by necessity, we'll have either a Jewish or a Palestinian um, giving us history. And we'll open our Bibles and we'll read and we'll have a completely different understanding of that. And so we'll inform them and they'll say, yeah, 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 I know that's your understanding. But uh, so you're correct. We'll be carrying that that gospel message forward um, because that's who we are. Right, that's part of our DNA, and what I would say is that our DNA, on the whole, in this church, is evangelical, which is different than uh, maybe a, a social gospel or a more liberal approach. And we got to understand that that exists in a lot of the world, liberal Christianity. And I ran into that in India. <clears throat> when you get to a certain educational level because of the need that is there and so present and in people's face. <clears throat> Liberal theology gets a lot of traction. So we need to understand the foundations of why we think evangelically. And I think that's why we need to, to be careful about what we choose, because I think we're very close to end times. right? So if you only have so much time to invest, um, where are you going to invest it? 
Are you going to invest it um, so that we understand when that day comes what's going on? Maybe it's already here. Um, or do, you know, do we have time to um, invest deeper in multiple generations? So that's those are questions that we need to ask. But I'm I'm going way afar here. Um, I mean, for example, you're working with children, right? And we want to build a sound theological foundation because you need more than Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so when you get into real life situations. Not that that isn't important, and I will sing that, but that you need to you need to be able to dwell in the shelter of the Most High. Right? You need to abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That word abide is, means the same as it did in John chapter 15. To abide, to dwell, to actually be connected to the vine. The... the uh amount of need that you can see, whether you're wandering down Esther Short Park or uh, traveling through India, that is always there. Yes. I had a professor who kind of uh, suggested that, you know, if you look at the cross of Christ, you have the vertical relationship and the horizontal I have the vertical relationship with God, I have the horizontal relationship with other people, but even at that, when you look at it, what holds up the horizontal? If I don't have a clear understanding of who God is, right. then everything else I do is pointless. That's absolutely correct. And, and I could, and I got a whole bunch of pictures. I've got about 5,000, and I could quickly go through them in 10 minutes for you guys, but... Uh, what, what my goal is is to pull out five and tell you the story of five pictures but what I saw over there is exactly that I mean we actually see a depth of poverty that we don't see here um, where I mean people literally have nothing at all and they are incredibly uh, attacked with infirmity and demon possession and illness and all sorts of uh, problems, right? So we were actually among lepers and, and touching lepers, um, sharing who Christ is in that community. We were, uh, I mean, the, the, and it's all, you know, you can just imagine the most heart-wrenching pictures you've ever seen about, the, you know, the, the poor in the world, it, that exists, in India, and we actually experienced that and moved uh, within it. Um, and yet, th- it's not possible to move everybody from that place of need into a place in the world where they don't have that, where all those needs are met. Because the problem isn't one in this world. The problem is in a, in a spiritual realm, right? We read in Ephesians chapter 6 and you know, jump to the end if you want to know what the what some of the bottom line stuff is uh, Ephesians chapter 6 at the end and you all know this it says chapter 6 verse 10 finally be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might right so how do you get strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might what is the might of the Lord that's a question to ask so when we would go through a study of Ephesians, we would look at that and we'd say, what does that say and what does that mean? So in what does it say, we would take a look at, uh, do some drill down on the actual words that are used there in the gr- grammatical construct. But then we need to understand what it means, right? And so I'm talking about standing in the truth and how his faithfulness or his truth is a shield or a buckler, it's a strong castle, a bulwark, right? In other words, you are safe and secure. And when I, I read this, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So you'll notice the order of... Our, 
our battle call here, right? So we have, um, it's not flesh and blood, but rulers, powers, world forces, spiritual forces in the heavenly places. And so we can expect that, that that's the battlefield, but the battle is won. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm or stand fast, which means that we are not responsible for um, clearing the battlefield. We're responsible for standing. We're responsible for the ambassador's role, the evangelical uh, proclaimers of the gospel role, right, against that spiritual wickedness. And that that spiritual wickedness translates into the corruption of all these other things, worlds and powers and principalities. Um, so I know I'm getting far, and you had your hand up. Uh, I just, I was, it fits, when you read that first part of Psalm 91, he dwells in the shelter of the Most High, and the shadow of the Almighty. I've always saw that picture of sitting and looking out my window and seeing God's shadow. But you got to understand, and it struck me so profoundly one day, that in order to dwell there, you have to pick up your belongings and move there. Yes. And you say, I am under the lordship of him whose shadow is over me. Right. And you don't get the privilege of living there unless he is your lord. Right. And that's, I mean, it's a huge, it, it's a place of blessing and protection, but it's also a place of submission and surrender. Correct. And you see all of that in Ephesians. So I thought Ephesians. And because we're gonna so, have classes for Israel. Yeah, we're gonna have classes for Israel. And we're gonna go through both geography and history, and I'm gonna give you all the scripture before we get over there, and we're gonna walk through it uh, virtually before we hit the land. So that when you hit the land, all that'll be packed away and you'll be uh, seeing afresh the Bible in in a in a a living way, which is really interesting what happens to people. They read they read differently after you've actually walked through the tracks of those that have been before you. And we're told to do that, by the way. Um, so it's, it's absolutely correct that we're never going to be able to address the depth of need in this world if we only look at it from a physical perspective. But one of the things I observed is that even those in the midst of the most abject poverty, so in, in India, they still have the caste system. And in fact, we actually have that same system here. It's just we don't call it that. Um, so it's a stratification of society. And that stratification <coughs> influences the children that are born into that caste as to how what their trajectories, what choices they're going to have uh, in life to make. And um, what has occurred in the last century through, uh, in the century before that, through domination of another world power, Britain over um, India, was that they wanted to do exactly what we're trying to do in America. We're trying to make all the corn the same height. We're trying to have plurality and equality be the motto of the day, right? And so what they did was they recognized the untouchable caste. In fact, this caste would not even have a name. They were the untouchables. They were the outcasts. And the majority of the people were the untouchables. And they lived in that abject poverty. And that's what uh, Mother Teresa went to serve, was this uh, Dalit peoples that um, were not included. Um, they were the... Uh, you know, they're the outliers of a uh, civilized society. Unfortunately, in that part of the world, the outliers are the majority. Uh, and you see that when you're over there. It's like, well, we're not going to solve this by looking at the world, um, the world's way of ordering society and of meeting need. You know, we're not going to be a Bill Gates, and even he doesn't have the resources to come in and change India. Right? The reason that he's having any success in India is because he's focusing on a specific caste that already was striving in that way. 
and that he's helping to bring resources to something that already exists. But it's a very narrow slice. And there's still all of that other, all of the other castes there that are not having their needs met. And that's just a worldly need, right? So we're never going to be able to hit that. Um, because that's not what we're called to do. We're not called to wrestle against flesh and blood. We're called to stand fast in the presence of the evil day when spiritual, the spiritual battle is being waged and that the, the defeat of that, of that you know, spiritual rebellion has already occurred. It occurred on the cross. And that's what we need to tell people is that no matter where you sit in the stratifications of society, whether it be the top, the middle, or the bottom, um, you are free in Christ. And when people get that, we saw that over there. We saw people in the most abject poverty rejoicing and singing in a way that it's so powerful. Because when you sit there and they're drumming and they're doing the cymbals and they're doing what is uh, culturally relevant to them as an expression of worship of God, it's totally moving because you know that you can't do anything about their need. All we can do is proclaim the need that's already been met by God from on high. And so, yeah, anyway, so Tim, you were about ready to make a comment. You, you, you covered what I wanted to cover, and that is that Christianity cuts through all the cast. Mm-hmm. And if Jesus were here, he would go to the lowest of the low, probably, to hang out. Yeah. You know, I mean, he'd, he'd hang out with the top two. Yeah. As influencers, but... And he did. Know, he hung he, out with Nicodemus, and Joseph yeah. of Arimathea, all the way down to Simon the leper. You know who Simon the leper was? Um, he was the father of Lazarus, who was raised from the dead. Or some people speculate he might have been Lazarus, that the Lazarus is another name for Simon the leper. This is one that Jesus actually, so people, would, he was untouchable, right? He was a bottom cast. Joseph of Arimathea is a top cast. Uh, Nic- Nicodemus was a top cast. He would be like in India, he would be Brahmin, right? Um, and Simon the leper would have been Dalit. He would have been an untouchable. And Jesus hung out with both and proclaimed the truth to both and brought wholeness to both. Uh, it would be probably five years ago now, but at one of the Mission Connection uh, sessions that was held, we had a speaker who was a Dalit from India. And one of the things that he was emphasizing was that you know, you're talking about getting sound theology. The creation of the human race in Genesis 1 is one of the most powerful texts that uh, is at work in India because it says right there, you know, that God didn't create anybody to be stepped on. Right. That everybody was created with equal dignity and that all of us are important to God. There's right. nobody who is throwaway. And uh, that's having an enormous impact in the Dalit community there in India. A lot of the Brahmin priests are upset by it because yes. these people who they despise are opting out of their system. Yes. And, and it's irritating. How can I step on you if you weren't there? That, that's correct. And so what? there's a movement afoot that by 2030, they'll be back to a Hindu uh, nation in India, which means the repression of Christianity, of Muslim, of Buddhism, of the very, because right now it's very, you got all these different religions and everybody has value because in a Hindu worldview, which India and that part of the world came from, you got a plurality of gods, right? So when you say, yeah, Jesus is God, they say, oh, great, Jesus is God. Jesus among many gods, right? In fact, Rabbi Zacharias, who's from India, although he's Canadian in his relationship, and probably comes from one of the upper castes, um, wrote a book, Jesus Among Other Gods, which is about understanding the difference between saying Jesus is God to a Hindu and saying Jesus is God to one who knows Christ as Lord and Savior, right? Who actually has submitted to the authority of the king 
rather than asserting uh, a false authority as king. And so a lot of my teaching has been about kingship in the last couple of years, right? And understanding who Messiah is and king. Um, And so you're absolutely correct in that from the very foundation, from the very uh, first chapter of Genesis, um, there's a declaration that God values creation. And when he got to humanity, he said, this is not just good, but very good. So when God, who is good, says something is very good, that means it has a high place of value and esteem and dignity, to use some of the words you were using, to him. But every one of those persons from Adam through today, everyone who's ever lived, and is some many are still living, is, is unique and has a unique place in the body of Christ. Right? So we understand that not all are eyes, not all are hands, not all are feet, but everybody in here has a unique place and and an eternal value in Christ. So what we want to do is we want to uh, pick a trajectory that will help us more um, clearly understand the foundational truths such that we are empowered to operate as God designed us. So I'll read to you from, I'll, I'll do a spoiler, I'll take you to 1 Peter um, chapter 5. So Sunday mornings we're working through 1 Peter and um, Pastor Bob is doing a very in-depth exegetical study of it and teaching of it and when you get to the end it's about serving God willingly it's about how uh, we submit to the authority of God and you get to um, verse 6 in chapter 5 of 1 Peter it says therefore the result of everything that you heard before here humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So that idea of, uh, so we in the West like to think of, just like they do in the East, like to think of the stratification of society. And exaltation means that you're gaining value by moving up in the castes. Whether you do it through reincarnation or whether you do it through business ascent or the various ways that people will struggle to get on top to be the king of the mountain. But he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that God may exalt you, which means to not move you up and cast, but rather where he has planted you and how he has made you to put you forth according to your design that you can be fully empowered and effective in doing that which he is doing in creation, that you are joined with him, you are in accord, in harmony. And that occurs through humility. Just as Christ humbled himself on the cross in order to achieve that which no one else could achieve. He brought life to the whole world. He was able to give that which only God could give to that which was totally separated and lost for eternity. Because he humbled himself, taking on the form of a man, we read in Philippians. Even to the point of death on a cross. Right. So that's what that means. And when as we read through 1 Peter on Sunday morning, it's moving up to this. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, put you forth according to his design, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And that's the hard piece. The hard piece is, is that nothing works the way we think it should work. That's because we're not of the world. If we were trying to make it work the way we think it should work, we would be doing all sorts of schemes and trying to uh, make the world work the way we think it should. In fact, we would be uh, exploring medicine that could conquer all disease. We would be understanding genetics in a way that you can replace those things that in your body are aging and, and are falling apart such that you can achieve eternal life. You know, you look at what the ultimate goal is of many of the schemes that are going on in the world, that's not the way it works. It's not 
a struggle against flesh and blood. But rather, it's about coming under, being in accord with the king, being a citizen of the kingdom, and fully exercising your citizen rights. So, I know I get, I'll preach you on it, but, so that's why I think what we pick next is really, really important. And we will have a, a, an in-depth drill down on what we're going to do when we get to Israel. And if we have opportunity to do some walkabout in Jordan, what we'll do in Jordan, and you'll, you'll understand that, and how that influences what we understand is going to happen in the end times. So one of the things that Pastor Bob did a, a few weeks back, months back, years back, was uh, a study in Daniel where he used a book, The Mideast Beast, to help um, frame what end times, um, as we understand exegetical work of the Bible, what, how it might inform that, and what we'll be walking into, and what it means when you're actually walking in the land and what is today Palestinian territory. And when we go to Petra, what Petra about? Oh, we're going to Petra? If we go to Jordan, we'll walk to Petra. And what I can say is, when I was in India, I went to the Taj Mahal. Y'all know what the Taj Mahal is? Pardon? It's a tomb. It's a tomb. That's right. It is one of the wonders of the world is a tomb. And I'm sitting there thinking, and it is, it's a wonder. It's made out of this white marble with inlaid stone. It is uh, perfectly symmetrical um, in a way that is just, a, it's a wonder. It is a true phenomenon, the architecture and the construction. Um, and I can understand why people were just awed and come from all over to see the Taj Mahal. But it's a tomb. It's a memorial to death. Um, and it's like, wow. You know, what, that's what Petra is. It's a tomb. It's a memorial to death of a great people, the Nabataeans, who were the spice traders. And they were able to figure out where there was water in the desert. So they owned the spice routes. And they became very wealthy. And they could build big, ornate tombs. And that's what Petra is, right? So you go there and you see this incredible wonder of the world. And it's a tomb. Petra is the rock. It's built out of rock. It's built out of rock. But interestingly, our rock is not one that can be moved. If you look at Petra, the wind and the rain and the sun is beating that thing down, and eventually it'll be nothing. Our rock cannot be moved. So, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of, and we get this in the scripture. You know, it tells us this. That's why good theology is foundational. So let's let's pick a good trajectory. We've got five minutes left for you guys to decide. Yeah. Moses says in Deuteronomy, their rock, or our rock is not their rock. Right. He says our rock is not their rock. So uh, we have a sound foundation. They may think they do, but they don't. Right. Anything else, you know. And, and what that means is that how we look at the world should be informed by what we know is true. Um, and we have evidence that that's true. The evidence is the empty tomb, right? So that's the good news. That's the gospel. We have evidence that this is really true. What God says is the truth. No matter what the world tells you, no matter what is happening in your individual circumstance, the truth is God and his plan and his purpose. I think we need to hear from Robin. We rarely hear from her, but it's her birthday. Yes. She's a big fan of Ephesians. Are you a big fan of Ephesians? I think it doesn't matter um, what you say. You're going to go into the Old Testament and put it all together. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know me. I'm going to study the whole thing and so to, to do it you know, with an Ephesians slant. Perfect. Okay. So I just want you to know that I'm your servant, so whatever you choose... That's what I will dedicate myself to to help you guys. Uh, well, I really want to be Song of Solomon. I really want to be <laughs> Song of Solomon? <laughs> so there was one vote for Song of Solomon. <laughs> that can be a very interesting study. Yes. <laughs> well, I like the preachers. I mean, it's just, uh, especially the first chapter about 
they chose that decision. Yes. So just how to how to live because right how to, in in the presence of the truth, how now shall we live? Right. And that's you're you're absolutely correct. So. You can just imagine, look forward to unpacking all of those tough nuts about theology, about predestination and uh, election, and all the things that Tim loves to eliminate on. Um, we'll be taking that on, head on. Well, I, I think that we only have eight months, so I figured we better just stick with third job. Well, actually, that was one of my considerations. So. Uh, Ephesians was Ephesians was a circular letter to be read in a, a circuit. First uh, John is circular construction. It uh, the way John writes is very circular, um, so it has a lot of Greek influence in it. And I love doing teaching out of First John. In fact, what they say is if you third, do a, third John, he said oh, it's so John. short. Okay. Okay. He was well, it's he circular was... too. <laughs> <laughs> I go yeah. for Ephesians. So uh, let's take a vote and then. Open it up to Robin for the last five minutes. Uh, or five minutes. Do I Two get minutes. to go? Yeah. yeah. No. 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 <laughs> you'll be you'll be you'll be sitting in from time to time, right? It'd be almost as bad as saying I get a vote. Well, actually, somebody will speak louder than the others, and I'll and I'm listening. So, what do you want? I heard two Ephesians. I heard three Ephesians. Four or five. There you go. I'll go with Song Song. <laughs> <laughs> what, what would you like, Mr. Paul? What would you like? I'd probably vote for Zechariah. Okay. We got one Zechariah, one Song of Solomon. I'm likely to be. I come in here one of his classes up there, so I, I won't vote. Okay. What do you think, Jim? I just don't hear Okay. So, sounds like Ephesians carries a day. So, Ephesians is what we'll jump into next week. And uh, Wait, it's a holiday weekend. Oh, it's a holiday weekend. Isn't it? Or is it? No, it's not. It's the weekend after that. Oh, weekend so after that. So, what we'll okay. do, so this is your homework assignment. Be prep. Read through Ephesians, only six chapters. It's a pretty quick read. Read through it three times in the next week. Three times. And when you read, read through it the first time with no intent to make any note or observation. Just read it for, for flow, for rhythm, for the sound. Right. Second time you read through, read through it asking who, what, why, when, where. So who was it written to? Why was it written? What was the circumstance? Um, and some of this stuff you're not going to be able to discover from internal evidence. Um, who's the author? All of these different things, right? Uh, who, what, why, when, where. And then uh, third time, um, try and, and answer the first question. Who, um, why, and where. Who, why, and where. So who is it written to? Where is it? Where is it geographically located? Um, and it may be um, narratively located. So, for example, Job, the setting of Job, so I'm asking a setting question, um, is in suffering. It's not in her. It's actually uh, a narrative setting as opposed to a geographical setting. So that can be the case with Ephesians, too. Um, so try and answer those questions in the third read, and then we'll take off next next week with uh, trying to get. We'll start large and through discovering internal evidence, get smaller, and then we'll start critical acquisition. So why don't we go ahead and uh, we'll close with prayer? I'm going to read through before we close with prayer Psalm 91 one more time. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his, with his pinions, his feathers, and under his wings you may seek refuge. 
His faithfulness and truth is a shield and bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, or the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands, that you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high, because he has known my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Lord, we truly desire to see your salvation, the salvation that you uh, have secured for us, that you have conquered death, and we know that it's both present and future as we uh, understand that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Lord, um, we know that this is such incredible news that we need to help people understand the truth of who you are and what you've done. Lord, just ask that you would put that so keenly upon our heart and help us as we really uh, push through some of the the challenging theological portions that we're going to look at when we start our study in Ephesians here, Lord. Lord, we just ask that you would uh, protect us, that you would provide for us in this crazy world that we live and that you would uh, continue your service for us, Lord, that you have chosen us and don't give up on us. You are faithful, even though many times we are faithless. Lord, we just ask that you would strengthen that lack of faith. Lord, we ask that you be with Bob this morning as he brings your message to your people. Lord, um, we just thank you for your blessing, your many blessings, too numerous to count. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all this we pray in your name. Amen. Amen.